everybody, this is Dr. Jervik, and in this podcast, we're going to talk about congenital heart defects. Um, we're going to talk about two. The first one we're going to talk about is Tetralogy of Fallot. And Tetralogy means that there are four <coughs> issues with the heart, and Fallot was just the French physician who de- described them. So the first issue I'll talk about is pulmonary stenosis. <clears throat> so we're talking about pulmonary stenosis in that pulmonary artery. So we're having a hard time getting blood from that right ventricle into the lungs because of that stenosis. Of course, the heart's working harder. So we're going to then see that right ventricular hypertrophy because it's working harder trying to force that blood through <clears throat> that stenotic pulmonary artery. And then another thing that we'll see is ventricular septal defect. What that is, is where we have a hole between the two ventricles from the right into the left ventricle. And then the last issue with the heart with Tetralogy of Fallot is an overriding aorta. So the aorta with Tetralogy of Fallot is a little bit more centrally um, located versus normally it should really be over that left ventricle. So Overriding aorta, it's a little bit more over the right or over both of them <clears throat> than it should be. So this issue usually is significant and does require surgery. <clears throat> if it's not severe, it could be detected later um, based on assessments. So um, one of the things that we see is a, a right to left shunt. And what this means is the blood is going from the right ventricle to the left ventricle. And that's partly because of that pulmonary stenosis. It's the heart's having a hard time getting it through there. So the problem with that right to left um, shunt is that the blood does not get oxygenated. It's bypassing the lungs where it would normally get the oxygen. So there's a lot of pressure on that right side. The blood does not get up into the lungs and the right ventricle has a lot of pressure. So the blood shifts to that left side of the heart. When it shifts, again, it bypasses those lungs and we don't get oxygenated blood. There is some mixture of oxygenated and deoxygenated or that shunted blood Um, into the left ventricle. And so this can cause cyanosis. Um, And and it's actually called hypercyanotic episode when this happens to these kiddos. And um, that is sometimes called a TET spell. That's T-E-T, TET spell. And basically, this is when this child has this really severe cyanosis from a lack of oxygenation. Um, And so some of the times that you might see this TET spell would be um, when they are straining to defecate, if they're in pain um, during feeding, because feeding requires increased oxygenation, or even during a crying spell. Um, So the TET spell is life-threatening. It usually peaks between two and four months of age, and is found more in in up to two years. So... um, with this, um, things that we can do for interventions are going to be to try and decrease that oxygen band. So if baby's crying, we're going to try and soothe baby. We're going to try and calm that baby. We're also going to try and increase the blood to the <clears throat> heart and lungs. So one of the things that we do is that knee to chest position. And so if a, a child 
has made it to those toddler years with this issue, you may actually see them out there <clears throat> playing and all of a sudden they'll do squatting. What this does is it increases the oxygen going to the major organs. It causes some vasoconstriction. So the blood backs up to the aorta, then it increases pressure in that left ventricle, which then shunts blood back to the right side so it can get oxygenated. <clears throat> um, so needed chest position, either children may do this on their own. If we have an infant, we would bring that needed chest during a tet spell. Um, we also would apply oxygen. And sometimes they talk talk about um, it being by blow by. Basically, all that means is that you're holding that mask in front of baby's face, um, allowing them to get that oxygen. <clears throat> we also might give morphine. We've talked about morphine extensively about how that helps the heart. It decreases preload, it decreases afterload, decreases the oxygen demand. And we could also give um, a very potent medication called phenylephrine, which is a vasoconstrictor, which would also help shunt that blood back up to the oxygen to the lungs. Um, we could give some IV fluids if needed to help with um, increasing the, the vascular volume. So some of the complications that we see with tetralogy of flow, um, they could get emboli, seizures, um, they could even die from the anoxia, loss of consciousness, um, heart failure, um, hypoxemia, and there's actually a, a change in the heart um, the, the way it's shaped, they say it sometimes looks kind of like a boot, and that can sometimes be seen um, on the x-ray. So um, there's two ways that we can treat this. Um, one would be open heart. Another way would be potentially doing a cardiac catheterization, which we've talked about with our adults. Of course, with either of these, there is the risk for hemorrhage. So we're going to be assessing our sites, looking for ble bleeding, assessing blood pressure and heart rate. Um, again, if they did a cath cardiac cath on a baby or a child, um, there's the risk for the hematoma. So if there was bleeding at that groin, we would hold pressure. Risk for low-grade fever, nausea and vomiting. Of course, loss of the pulses um, in that leg. Anytime we're messing with the heart, we have the chance for dysrhythmias and a risk for death or stroke. <clears throat> so... That is the, the big thing to know about Tetralogy of Fallot is pretty much um, the four things that are wrong with the heart. Um, what are those interventions we can do for the kiddo? <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> those medications. So now I'm briefly going to talk about atrial septal defect. So with this, we have an abnormal opening between the right and left atria. So depending on the size of the opening, the patient may be asymptomatic, or they could have some fatigue, dyspnea on exertion, they could develop heart failure, and they do have a risk for a stroke. So because the blood um, is kind of shunting between those two sides, <clears throat> there is thought that, you know, the, the blood is kind of sitting around some, not getting pushed, and there is that risk for a um, a thrombus to form. And actually one of my, my friends actually had a, a stroke. It was a, a small one, more of a TIA. And from the stroke, they ended up finding she had the atrial septal defect. And this didn't, they didn't find this until she was in her 50s. So generally speaking with atrial septal defect, um, they do conservative treatment. 80% of the atrial septal defects close on their own. 
And then if, you know, the, the child starts to develop heart failure symptoms secondary to the atrial septal defect, we would treat them with the same types of medications for heart failure, diuretics, digoxin potentially. And there is actually an interventional cardiac cath device that they can put in. Um, in adults, it's called an amplatzer. Don't worry about the actual name of it, but it, it's kind of like they go in with a cath and they put like an umbrella for a little patch type of thing over that um, hole. And um, then they just need to be on some antiplatelets after that procedure. So I hope that helps you kind of focus your, narrow your focus for your studying for the perfusion exam. And I hope this was helpful.